You're listening to You Heard It Here First, the first United Methodist Church of New Ulm podcast. Did you grow up reading Batman comic books or watching TV shows or seeing Batman movies? Or do you know who Batman is? I hope so. Well, a few years ago, back in 2017, a little company called The Lego Group released the Lego Batman movie. And it's a classic good guys versus bad guys movie. Batman has to save the day from his nemesis, the Joker, just like in the comic books and movies and TV shows. But since it was a movie made for kids, the plot was a lot simpler than Batman stories typically go. You see, Lego Batman is depicted as a loner who saves the day time and again. And while he appears to be happy on the outside, he's lonely on the inside, though he's not always willing to admit it to himself. And true to the comics, we learn that Lego Batman lost his parents at a young age and grew up without any blood family. The only family Batman knows is Alfred, his butler. So the reason he's a loner is to avoid more pain in his life and cover it up by trying to play it cool. But you see in the Lego Batman movie, Lego Batman learns that this time he needs to work together with other superheroes in order to save the day, that he can't do it alone. And so for the closing credits of the movie, the song on the soundtrack is called Friends Are Family, which is a song about how friends can become family. One of the lines from the chorus goes like this, friends are the family you can choose. Because sometimes family is chosen and it's not always flesh and blood. And this, interestingly enough, is where we pick up our scripture text for this morning from Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35, which is a passage about the misunderstandings of Jesus. I love that title. And the part of the text we're going to focus in on today comes at the end in verses 31 through 35, where Jesus' mother and brothers show up as he's speaking to the Pharisees and to a crowd while in a house. So they send word to him that they want to speak to him. And Jesus simply replies, whoever does the will of God is my mother and my sister and my brother. I think one of my favorite things about Jesus is the way that he can say so much with so few words. Now, sometimes as a pastor, I think I have the opposite problem myself, where I say too little with a lot of words, but I digress. But what strikes me about this short yet profound statement about who God's family is, is what Jesus doesn't say. You see, Jesus doesn't say whoever believes the same things you do or worships like you or thinks like you or prays like you, etc. But instead, he says whoever does the will of God. And that leads us to an important question to consider for today. What is the will of God? Well, there's been a lot of ink spilled about that very topic over the years. Many preachers have taken that on as sermon topics, and it's been a question of controversy and debate and discussion throughout time and space. But it seems to me, at least, that in simplest terms, the will of God comes to us in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, otherwise known as the greatest commandment. 
For reference, this is a scene where Jesus is responding to a question the Pharisees asked him about which one commandment out of the 613 that are found in the Old Testament is the greatest or most important. You see, they're trying to trap him. But Jesus sees through their attempt and quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. And while this speaks to the nature of living our lives in light of God, loving God with our heart, being, and mind, it also speaks to an ethic of care. Because we as the church have been adopted into the family of God through Christ. In Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 15, he wrote, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. We have received a spirit of adoption into God's family through Christ. And one of the plot points of the Lego Batman movie is that Robin, Batman's sidekick, Dick Grayson, was an orphan who Bruce Wayne adopted. And to be adopted, of course, means to literally be taken into one's own family who is not related by blood. And so we who are followers of Jesus Christ have been taken into God's own family through Christ, even though we are not related by blood. I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist from Psalm number 68, verse 6. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoner free and gives them joy. I'm also reminded of the story of the head of the Episcopal Church, the very Reverend Bishop Michael Curry, who in his book Love is the Way describes the ways in which his father's church, his parishioners, took the time to care for himself and his siblings while his mother was dying so that his father could be with her. That, friends, is adoption. That's loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's an ethic of care, church. But it also speaks to the notion that the family of God is a lot bigger than we think it is. Whoever does the will of my whoever does the will of God is my mother and my sister and my brother. And yet sometimes chosen family can be a stronger bond than nuclear family, especially for those who have complicated relationships with their own parents or siblings or extended family for whatever reason. My late friend Clint because became my best friend and brother through both shared experiences as well as him genuinely wanting what was best for me. He lived out that ethic of care and he changed my life for the better. And even after he died, I had a small group of colleagues and friends who walked with me through, his grief, through, through my grief of him as well as struggles I was facing in life and in ministry at the time. I consider those people to be family as well. I mention all of this because isn't the church called to be a bit of chosen family too? Aren't we who are a local expression of the Methodist and Wesleyan faith of family? Now, I'd like to pause here for a moment and say far too often I've heard stories of people being hurt in places that should be welcoming, of people being oppressed, of people being exploited in places and spaces that we have been called to welcome the other, 
especially for those who don't look or think or act or believe or pray or worship like us. If you are someone who's listening to this that has been hurt by church, please know that you are loved and that I'm deeply sorry for the pain that you've endured. And so even as a local expression of a Methodist and Wesleyan faith, we, we are called to care for one another and pray for each other, to worship together, to share conversation, and sometimes meal to get meals together. We live life together. And through it all, we're called to support one another through the good times and the bad. Jesus didn't say, well, you have to get your theology exactly right, and you have to argue and debate about this, 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 and this which is sometimes what we have a tendency to do in our Christian circles, isn't it? But you see, all of those things are, are things that we are called to invite others into the family of God as well. And perhaps one of the most profound yet simplest ways we can do that is through something called the works of mercy. The founder of Methodism, the Reverend John Wesley, believed that these works of mercy were also a means of grace, meaning that they are an ordinary thing through which God channels grace into the hearts of the people on both the giving and receiving end of grace, and there are several of them, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, sheltering the homeless, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, visiting the imprisoned, and burying the dead. Those seven are what are called the corporal works of mercy, meaning physical. There's a physical sense to them. There are, however, a few more that are equally as important, and they are called the spiritual works of mercy. To instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, admonish the sinner, forgive injuries, comfort the sorrowful, bear wrongs patiently, pray for the living and for the dead. Now, I think these are helpful for framing the work which we are called to do as the church and offer practical how-tos, as it were, about how we can be the family of God to those who are not yet in our fold or how we can do the work of reconciliation with those who have been welcomed into the family of God but have been abused by its members. Just as Jesus went and did these things, so we too are called to go and do likewise. May it always be so. Amen.